0: hi everyone it's alex here from behind this wall uh we hope that you're all keeping well in isolation in these uh sort of strange and uncertain times um i'm actually up here at the bar right now where it's all gone eerily quiet apart from the gentle hum of the fridges that you might hear in the background there it's also extremely cold uh, which is something that some of you might have commented on on visiting anyway We miss your lovely bodies and the warmth they bring. In this lockdown, we're trying to keep busy, so here's something new for us and our little zine. It's a podcast. The meat of it is an interview that I did with Byron Knight from the bar Off-Broadway on Broadway Market here in Hackney, which I'm sure many of you know. For those of you that don't, it's a New York style bar, which is fitting of the man as he's a real life American. What you may not have known about him is he's also a chef and a master brewer. One of the founders of the Beaver Town Brewery, a name many of you recognize, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, He's now concocting beers down at Deviant and Dandy, which is uh, just down the road from here. Anyway, this conversation was originally meant to be transcribed for the zine, much like the Whistlepig piece we ran last year, which I'm sure all of you have read. But uh, the conversation kind of flowed through so much, especially time, and covered the whole spectrum of that amazing craft beer boom that happened here in London, from a real like insider's perspective, uh, we thought it might be better served to you as a podcast. And now we've had the time to mix it because that's the one thing we all have in ample supply right now. So please excuse some blue language and the slightly raw quality, although everything's a bit raw at the moment, even Newsnight seem to be doing serious interviews in family living rooms on smartphones. We hope you enjoy it and that this can be the first of many such stories that we feel are worth sharing and telling. Stay safe and wash your hands. Can go for no. however long you want so the last the last time that i did this i did it on a skype call with this guy in in vermont and transcribing that afterwards was a fucking nightmare wow. i think you can get people to do it for you properly yeah like, but it talk. was just like the audio <laughs> cut up on some really key bits when he was talking about the process of like making rye.
1: yeah
0: and why it's different from exactly. bourbon and like you know yeah. scotch and all of these things and they were just words that i like basically ended up sort of splicing together and kind of making up to see if it, to see if it worked um but anyway i think that's still rolling cool check 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 uh so let's start by saying so when did you first start messing around with beer uh
1: first well i first started messing around with beer uh when i was managing restaurants mm. in uh oakland california at the beowulf so the chefs there and i would use the kitchen equipment after we closed and do some test batches and bottle them up and ferment them in the basement and then leave them there to condition.
0: What kind of kitchen equipment are you using for that? Stockpots. Really? Uh, Chenois
1: as our, as our mash. You wow. Know, just, yeah, just whatever we can find. The nice thing about the kitchen stuff because it's all much bigger than you would have at your home. And we had the whole kitchen to mess around with and we'd be there until four in the morning.
0: To so those kind of like pre-batch homebrew kits that you can buy now they're yeah, which are,
1: you could totally have gotten those then, but, you know, whatever.
0: They're kind of unnecessary.
1: Hey! They make life a lot more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You know, and if you don't have a stove that you can heat up all water, you know, 20, 30 liters of water at a time. Yeah. Most people can do five or ten at most.
0: Yeah. So I the, guess hom-
1: the homeroom things are much nicer, more efficient, and keep their temp better. Um, so we made some okay, interesting stuff, you know, just mess around. So that was my introduction to making beer. Um, and I did that for quite a few years, just as a hobby, off and on, in different places I was at. Um, and I didn't actually get serious about it until I came to the UK.
0: Was that because of what was going on with with craft beer here at the time? Was that what we used? I at the, didn't at the know front that craft was that? beer
1: was actually going to be a thing.
0: Was craft beer the thing that you sort of had in mind? Was no. that even a word that existed at that time, where you were just no. you were the like wild I mean, west man at w- the front? Wild west man at the front. That would have been. Um, Evan at the Colonel Being
1: around for A few years before that Mm. You know Him still kind of Really being the only player So you know I had Off-Broadway here And then I went over To open Duke's Yeah um, And uh, Duke's Brewing Q Was the Duke of York pub Mm -hmm. Previously In Hagerston. In Hagerston, Yeah And and there And then I just walked in And tried to figure out What this place wanted to be And I just thought Okay Meat Barbecue I see barbecues being Something that's kind of Underrepresented Um, In the UK And craft beer It's a microbrewery You gotta make our own beer here Go with our food And that is as far as I thought about it So what And after doing some research At that point The only things you really Had to benchmark against Was sharps Mm. uh, Selling to I guess Coors At that point Yeah You know For If memory serves me right 7 million pounds Wow I think that's right Maybe it was 27 million It wasn't a massive number Massive at the time you consider they, they put in a, you know under a million to buy sharps as a brand and then yeah built it up. I don't Doom think Bar. I've
0: ever drunk sharps.
1: I mean that was one of the early craft beers. Yeah. So Doombar as a Oh, Doombar I've had. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Doombar was sort of the, was the original big breakout brand mm. for a beer that had a little bit more flavor to it. Yeah. Um, and then behind that you would have all the imports, you know, cuz when I first started off Broadway there really wasn't much choices here in the UK. And so I focused all on American bottled beer. So I guess and I, mean, I literally traveled all around the UK finding everyone that would import any kind of American brands.
0: So, what this year, this was around. This would be. So, we started this in
1: 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011.
0: Right. And there was a real buzz at that time towards like American things, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, massively. Which is know. why
1: I think Off Broadway did well. We had our bottles. Our, our bottled selection was all American brands.
0: So we were three years into the Obama administration, yeah, and suddenly everyone's looking across the big pond and going like, "Wow!" Yeah. And think about it also that's also when the
1: when the Old Fashion came into its own, yeah, because
0: of uh, uh, Mad Men, the TV yeah. show.
1: Everyone was drinking Old fashioned Everyone knew what it was because it was such a popular TV
0: show. Yeah, it's mad, that isn't it? Because before, I guess, like you know. I I I was I'm I'm half American as well as you can obviously tell from my accent. It's like I definitely kept that a secret
1: <laughs>
0: for a long time, and then it, there was a point around 2010 where it became currency that was that was yeah that was beneficial. Yeah,
1: that's why I don't have a posh
0: English accent, except
1: for I answer the phone for sales calls. Then, Hello, then I get quite quick camp.
0: Uh, yeah. So do <laughs> do you, do you think? That was the craft beer thing. Was that a thing in the US that you were kind of aware of? When when obviously you, you said you know with Jukes yeah. you had the barbecue, yeah. pairing that with American style beers, there was definitely a, a, a taste for that kind of
1: right I venture. Think-
0: and with and with this place as well, I mean, I saw like on your menus here when I was in here having a beer the other day when you you were out, yeah. Um, they served me after hours because <laughs> I said I I said I knew you. <laughs> that's what you should do. That's, that's the code, and uh, <laughs> I won't I won't print that like. <laughs> I was reading the menu and it was like you and Rupert met in, in a bar York. in New York yeah. and you're like, we want to do this in the UK.
1: In a simplified way. Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah. Yeah. Actually the story
1: of me meeting Rupert was actually from LA. Right. Um, I got a guy named Benji who's a young musician who came to LA to make it big. Um, he was also a bit of a trust fund kid. Yeah. Um, and Rupert was a friend of his. So I met Rupert when I came and visited Benji okay. here in the UK a couple of times. And then when I lived in New York, um, he uh, used to work He used to work in Nobu's And was doing a lot of activist work At that point And um, And Rupert was Quite flush for some reason So he kept flying over Pretty much once a month
0: Just to, living that American life Yeah
1: To part, to party like a rock star Yeah You know And our buddy Benji Had this massive penthouse apartment That we were Kind of squatting And crashing out It was his stepdad's Yeah Place His stepdad was uh, Tony Smith He was a manager for Phil Collins Right okay And hit and run records And hit and run films So at the, that point, he was one of the ten richest men in the UK.
0: Okay. So. And you thought this New York Life was we well, fun? Which it's cool. not. So,
1: well, that was so. That was the history. You know? Yeah. So that went on for quite a few years. I continued traveling, doing activist stuff full time. You know, going back down to Mexico, going to oh, South right. America, going to wherever I need to go to, and, and San Francisco. And then I kind of dropped doing the uh, trying to overthrow the American government. <laughs> And
0: uh, and, you, and then you wash up in London
1: And then I wash up in London It's true because at that point you had George Bush uh, Jr. in his second term mm. And uh, I said I can't take this anymore America's yeah. just going to hell in a handbasket And so I left, the, I left uh, the US Was aiming for either Berlin or London
0: Was really trying
1: hard to do Berlin But I had so many contacts through Rupert and Benji My friends here yeah. and Things kept popping up So I was ducking and diving illegally for a couple years Working and just kind of doing immigration runs every few months Going out of the country To extend my visa so I can figure something out And then Rupert's father Decided to retire from his print work Because he's owned the... Rupert's born and raised in this building So he's... Really? Rupert's father's been running business here for 37 years Previous to us being
0: here for 10 years So this used to be a print works?
1: Yeah, uh, like doing the old historic canvas uh, maps Okay That you would see in every pub in the UK Rupert's father pretty much supplied them all. He'd frame them, they'd order them, and have all this kind of historic pubby.
0: But you have the nice, like, linked sort of cartography still on the walls here. Yeah, There's yeah, lots yeah. of, like...
1: And, yeah, interesting, because Rupert's father was one of the early guys that would have, like, a computer printer, so they could just do small single runs and mm. things like that, do framing downstairs. He actually got just at the tail end the last five or ten years of him doing business here as an uh, off-Broadway print shop. You um, get all the street artists in here.
0: Well, man, I remember one of the early menus here when you were still doing tacos yeah. was like all based on like local street names. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It was all divided up into the sections of these new exotic. Places. I just moved to New Standard. The exotities,
1: like the, the yeah. Loriston
0: Road. Where is this Loriston Road? And then I find it one day, and I'm like, "What? This is this is it? Yeah, this is, is the good, spot? Well-made. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like six houses. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing even
1: there." Um, so yeah, so then Rupert and I started that business two years in. It mm. wound up being successful. I sponsored my own visa. I just hired myself as a, as a bar manager.
0: And, and then Jukes was completely separate then, yeah, after that.
1: Jukes was three years after that. Rupert was like, "Oh, these bars is a lot too, way too much work." I think he was really heavy into pledge music and a few yeah. other, uh, IT things, and he didn't want to go in with me on food on opening a restaurant. Yeah, and so then I went out looking for business partners, and then
0: why would you open a restaurant after opening a bar? Because food was in my blood. Food's in the blood. Yeah, I love food. Um, This is the famous like Anthony Bourdainism that, you know, the bar business is a good business, the restaurant business is a terrible business. It is, and you do it because
1: you're passionate about it. You're passionate about flavors and doing things. Mm. You know, if I had to list what I was good at, I think I'm definitely a very good chef. Cool. I'm an okay bartender,
0: Mm. and I'm
1: pretty much a mediocre brewer. Mm. You know, on that on that level.
0: And a good host. But I'm a great host. Good party host. Yeah, good party That's the host. most important thing, right? <laughs> so then we opened up Duke's Brewing Q.
1: Um, I went in and just said, this is going to be a craft beer microbrewery. We're going to make beer. We're going to make b- barbecue. It's going to be lovely. Mm. You know, everything that comes out of a smoker, we'll put it on a plate. Um, you know, and I had no idea that barbecue was going to become a big
0: thing well so, you were you were definitely listed back then uh, you know again yeah. I was I was sort of wet behind the ears and new to the area and I, I only found out that you were involved in Jukes like obviously through talking to you up at the bar mm. but I remember again with that big taste for looking for like good American things to eat that everyone yeah. wanted at the time you had the burger boom going on yeah. yours was in all of the articles yep. this is where you go to get barbecue. well with us London. and PitQ so, yeah so, uh, but Pit queue's expensive you had to queue and it's like you know yeah. You're in Soho.
1: Yeah, well, and he was definitely going to fans. We, we were actually researching together. We actually researched barbecue together. Mm. The chef there and Jamie, the other owner. We would all go out on trips and field days finding barbecue. Jamie's
0: the whiskey guy, right? Uh, yeah, he's the whiskey bar- guy. Only bourbon behind yeah. the bar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the chef who was really nice, Tom, absolutely lovely. Who's now doing Coombs Head Farm, right? Down in- so, yeah. yeah. Um, so
1: we were all looking at barbecue and restaurants together and researching what kind of barbecue. And I could tell early on that he wanted to go a little bit more refined and I wanted to go more authentic. But did
0: they, they, they started as a, as a street food truck, wasn't that right? Wasn't yeah. they on the embankment or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. then it went into bricks and water. Yeah, over on Carnaby Street. Earl and so Carl you would just like... And so we were, we were early, so we were all researching before
1: they opened up Carnaby right. Street. Um, so yeah, it's early days. And then uh, the brewery did its thing... We started uh quickly realizing that we did not have enough space even in a small brewery that can supply beer to our own pub Mm. so we had the mash tun uh the kettle and the hot liquor tank up right across from the gantry of the restaurant of the of the kitchen Mm. and then we pumped the beer down to the basement of dukes where we had our fermenters yeah and we had three fermenters down there yeah plus sort of our cellar and equipment and then once the kegs were full, we'd have to lift them up and try to
0: deliver them to, to a few places. That so were people, last, were people onto it straight away then? They were like... Yeah,
1: it was good because there wasn't yeah. no one doing it. So there was definitely a demand. You know, you... We started up... Um, who beat us to? London Fields. Even though we started at the same time, we quicker to the market than us.
0: And they were a bit naughty, right? Well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Complete That's, black job Not Not uh, Not uh, Ian who owns Clemson's Yeah The, the other guy the Yeah Half yeah, yeah. that team uh, Red Church opened About the, a couple months Got open a little We're all starting at the same time mm. And everyone's just sort of Opened their doors within a year
0: I mean it's kind of amazing How that led There seem to be like Huge trends for that kind of thing And then you all become The like frontiersmen Like, like when I was doing The Ryan's interview before You know Speaking to the Whistlepick guys yeah. It all happened You know You had the Hudson people yeah. Everyone coming through at the same time, and suddenly, like craft whiskey is a thing. Yeah. And suddenly, everyone's looking back at like, oh, this is how George Washington used to make whiskey. Let's see if we can do it like this yeah. and recreate things. And it just becomes like, it's it's, it's odd how are these like serendipitous moments in history where everyone's like, okay, we're in London. London's got a great history of beer and making. You know, you know, going back to like Hogarth. Yeah. Gin and beer are two things. Gin's on the rise. And then you've got guys like you all at the same time in the same kind of area who just happen to be like, let's give the beer thing a go.
1: Let's give this a go. Well, I want to make this. I want something that's not available yeah. freshly to me. Yeah. You know, like I could, I could for love or money because at that point the bottle shop was importing things from America. For sure. And yeah. they're bringing things in like Piney the Elder, you know. And it
0: cost a fortune. And it cost
1: a fortune. And, you know, at that point he wasn't as fast as he was towards the tail end. So it wasn't the freshest. And I was like, man, there's no way we're going to get good big hoppy beer. Yeah, I mean, you had uh, McKella doing their contract brewing, making interesting stuff and throwing it to the market, yeah. doing Gypsy Brewing. Um, and that was it. You know, so you really had to look pretty hard to find something interesting. And, you um, know? and then it just boomed. You know, and I think without question, when we looked at our branding and the beer thing taking off. So anyway, so we had our what were we doing? Duke's Brewing Q. What were we called? The brewery. We had some really horrible fucking names. I think we were going to call it Bodica Brewery. Mm. Because uh, Logan had such an attachment to all things old and English heritage-y. Yeah, yeah. You know, that Albion. It, that, exactly.
0: <laughs> that was
1: the name of his band. It, was it? Yeah. No his, way. Logan, before he came on to do the project with me, was in a band called the Sons of Albion. The Sons of Albion. I think I heard of them. Yeah. And they just got band. signed. And then he kind of realized that that wasn't the lifestyle that he was into.
0: I think, or, I, or know, maybe
1: I, he realized that you shouldn't try to com- have a pissing contest with your father yeah the creator of prog rock so. yeah <laughs> you're never gonna win at that
0: no I think <laughs> not many people would win in a pissing contest against Robert Plant no. maybe now at his age you could you'd have a chance he's still a good performer oh he's a gra- I saw him at Glastonbury like five years ago and yeah. it was amazing
1: yeah I mean I think that's all he cares about he's a, he's a nice guy yeah you know, not the best father or maybe he's a good father who knows yeah you
0: know,
1: he takes care of his family well, so, I'm sure he can He's a good can. guy um, So So Logan had Left the band Just when they were About to sign a big record So
0: Logan Logan came in On the restaurant with you He was yeah. the business partner I, for-
1: I should sure, I, I, I Looked out to the universe Like okay, I want a B-list celebrity Or a son of With lots of cash Yeah This is who my ideal business partner is. And I just started asking around And then a friend of mine over in West London was like Hey, you know, I drink at this place And this kid, Logan, he's really cool He just quit his band And he's kind of interested in beer Mm. I'm like, okay, cool Nice So we met up, I showed him the business plan I used Sharps as an example As an exit strategy Mm. You know, if things went tits tits up And uh, talked about barbecue And know, barbecue is definitely going to be a big thing here Mm. You know, and I'm going to represent it And he bought into it And then away we went
0: so when did you uh, When did you christen it Beaver Town
1: uh, So we were asking around And coming up with some really bad names And one of Logan's mates When he told him like, Yeah we're opening up in De Beauvoir You know De, mm. Bo- De Beauvoir Hagerson De Beauvoir What do you mean You're opening up in De Beaver Town And he's like What do you mean He's like yeah That's what the Calcans would call that area De Beaver So, actually, De Beauvoir,
0: the Cockney slang, would be the beaver. That's so good. I always thought there was some, like, I thought it was some, like, American kind of infatuation or something. It's actually the the slang name for De Beauvoir. There's a lot of, like, from where I stand on my side of the bar, there's a lot of, you know, when we used to have Beaver there's a lot of mythology around where the name comes from. And I've never heard that story.
1: Yeah, it used to be on our website. Wow.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. So, that's where it came from. And then Logan was quite hesitant
1: about calling the brewery Beaver Town, mm. I said, "No, nah, man, come on, that's that's a good name." He said, "Well, you know, it's kind of offensive, Beaver and blah blah blah." At that point, we were off Broadway. Was quite big with the lesbians, so I had a lot of very butch, feminist-minded ladies drinking here, and I checked in with them. And pretty much, the answer was the same. Would you drink a beer called Beavertown? And the answer was, I would drink the shit out
0: of a yeah. beer called Beaver Town. I'm like, there you go. We're fine. So there you go. You got a ready-made like. Affluent market. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think being a little bit more edgy and really kind of owning that uh, American vibe mm. it definitely fit in with what I was doing. It definitely fit in with what Logan was about. He really liked the American thing. Yeah, it's a huge move mixed. away
0: from the like Albion sort of English prog rocky.
1: Yeah, but I mean, our first beer is like look at neck oil. Neck oil was, was a homage to uh, Batham's brewery yeah. up, up okay. in the Midlands, mm-hmm. which is what he him, and his father used to drink when they were growing up, mm. you know, in the local pubs.
0: Um, And then Gamma Ray was the
1: And Gamma Ray was an Alpha series That didn't come on until much, much later Right, okay You know, so Smog Rocket um, 8-Ball Neck Oil Abel's balls the Red Rye one, right? uh, 8-Ball's Red Rye, yeah Yeah. Smog Rocket was smoked porter uh, Neck Oil Was there a fourth in our portfolio Or was it just the three? What am I forgetting? I think that was it Yeah I think we only had three as a core brand to start with. I mean, and interestingly, you said about the whole thing about rye whiskey. Yeah. Eight Ball came because I was super into rye whiskey at the point. Mm. And so Logan and I were sitting here drinking so no one was bourbon, rye, and scotch. I was going, to look, you taste it. See, if we actually made a beer with a rye base, Yeah, it's going to be fucking incredible. It's going to have that little slight medicinal quality, that slight iodine y, kelpy finish to the it. Spiciness. The spiciness. The spiciness. Yeah. You get. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we developed a recipe
0: for Eight Ball. No based else. on our based on our love, my love for a rye whiskey. Was anyone else doing red red rye beer at that time? Nobody. No. No.
1: I think we had. I think I was able to find an example from. Uh, uh, who are the guys who do uh, Bear Republic?
0: Right. Yeah, they yeah. had they had a rye.
1: Yeah. That I was able to get a hold of to try as a, as a tasting of what rye would taste like in a beer.
0: So I think a lot of the like you know I think with the with the, the, the the like the Hook Island Red the Five Points yeah. That's my favorite Of their range Definitely You
1: know As it becomes Seasonal It's actually Not that popular Unfortunately Yeah I'd love a to shame get that, that all year Um You know Five points Uh God, I do know So many stories <laughs> <laughs> But anyway So So five points Didn't start till what Maybe a year and a half Two years After we started Beavertown. Mm. Um Because that And Mason Uh Mason And then Steve Taylor They had a pub Where Brew Where Brew Dog Is now On the top of Brick Lane mm. And that was Mason and Taylor's mm. Um And uh, they sold space The lease Made a lot of money Steve took his money And started a beer consultancy And then Ed took his money And started
0: Five Points Wow
1: You know And he was smart And hired a very good Experienced brewer
0: And now they're back In the pub game
1: Hired hired Maureen As a sales executive From America A very good brewer A much bigger kit Than I would have ever Dared Mm. Had the balls to do Early on Mm. And he definitely Did the right thing And just produced Really good reliable beer From day one Yeah you know, and I remember sitting at the the sh- it was the Stoke Newington Church. They had like a little like craft afternoon talk about craft makers, the makers or something mm. like that. And Ed was there. and I was trying his beer, and I was like, "Man, I'm totally blown away! Your beers are so much better than mine. Uh, <laughs> you know, so much more consistent. You know, just lovely, good." But you had that honest. like
0: I guess you had that sort of slight punk aesthetic that yeah. you know was very desirable as well. Yeah, you know.
1: Well, and it wasn't it doesn't necessarily start that way, Lou. You know, Logan and I were so worried about the branding and hitting the market correctly. We like went out and found, at the end of the day, the cheapest branding marketing agency we could
0: find to work mm. on our
1: brand. And I think we spent thirteen
0: k mm. on the branding they developed for our very. And it's first- the same one that you're using now. Hell, no, no, <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> they came up with a bunch of things. We went with a keyhole design. Um, you know, I think because of of Logan's passion for the Knights Templar and that whole sort of mystic-y whatever shit we did the all-seeing eye to the pyramid sort of thing off the dollar bill as as sort of I think I have seen that
0: actually yeah Yeah. just kicking around somewhere kicking around super old original
1: labels that we had done Um, and we used that we ran with that for the first 10 months to a year and then we started doing the Alpha series and I'm like okay so this branding shit is way too expensive yeah and it doesn't feel interesting. So I started using local artists, mm. you know, just to do the first Alpha Series beers. Mm. Um, Gamma Ray, uh, I think the f- first label would have been done God, by a young artist. He's really cool, really sweet kid.
0: And was this the Skeletons? Nope. No, no.
1: Um, he, that would have been, that would have come on, I think maybe our third or fourth Alpha Series. And then you experimental like, beer. This is it. Yeah. So, and Nick was my waiter really at the restaurant yeah um, and he was they f- lo- say it was
0: a doodle on a napkin
1: no no he actually had he actually told me that he actually had a, a marketing design background I'm like are you sure he's a great waiter people loved him Yeah, but he was the kind of waiter to come in high as a kite <laughs> like literally be tripping balls yeah but he was so sweet I loved him to death um, and he good. was actually good for, he, was, he came in through our first employee was James Rylance James Rylands, okay who's now uh, does the does the farmhouse series for, and, Ander, Ander wait, wait it was the brewery down in
0: uh, Kent. The one that makes the pilsner. Uh
1: no, well he left us and went to go work with um, Red Church. Red Church, doing yeah, the yeah. Farmhouse, and then after Red Church, he went Admins. Admins, okay. Yeah, so he's yeah. working now. He's working there, and so he was our first employee at the brewery. Mm. And then he said, "Oh, I have got this friend and needs a job, Nick. Mm. He's worked at this fancy restaurant, so I thought he'd be like some sort of polished." fancy nice waiter and then he came in all greasy haired and just mm. like oh man like, did you wash today? Yeah. He's like yes? Yeah. Well, can you do something with this? <laughs> <laughs> and he, lo- I mean, he became part of the family and then after our, like our second I, mean, I think our third alpha series he's like oh I can design something okay cool would you come up then he came up with the skulls mm. the two skeletons yeah. sitting at a table drinking and then he just kept working with him and he kept retooling and redoing our designs and we had another guy come in a friend another guy from uh, that got recommended through the colonel or who worked with the colonel he designed our second branding incarnation Mm. you know which was just focused just the pyramid with sort of a landscape at the bottom Mm. and then nick ran with it after that and started retooling that and then that's when we just went with nick all the way nick then was working at the brewery and the restaurant waitering tables and then helping us package beer amazing you know and then naturally that became the brand you know he just sort of owned it he really just ran with it. Now he's creative director, and I think he has shares in the company as well. God bless him, and he deserves it.
0: Well done. You yeah, know? I mean, it's that is it is so iconic, isn't it?
1: It, it really did. Yeah, you know, I mean, every not that anyone not to say that he invented skull, skulls.
0: No, but, but he, his he, style. But he's you know. gen,
1: he, That was his genuine passion, passion, and I think what we found at beginning on like going to a branding agency. I realize now in hindsight. Mm. Branding agencies and what the work they do is absolutely valuable for companies that don't have a personality.
0: But that's it. And you're talking like this whole story is about, you know, taking a chance, taking a pun, yeah. being slightly rogue. These. And like being an outlier for, you know, sort of experimentation and just yeah. a bunch of guys like having fun. Absolutely. And that is like just written large in, and then it becomes, it becomes your point of sale, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, I want to be like those guys. I want to be
1: like those guys. I want know? to be
0: like those guys. And I don't if, if, want to be like these guys with the clean lines and stuff. Yeah. I'm drinking a beer. I want to be like these guys. Right. And
1: you, and we really tapped into being the ones that, that own that end of the market. Yeah. You know, um, and the amount of mistakes we made, you know, like I said, like five points beers were much better than ours because every beer we made tasted different. Mm. We couldn't make the same beer twice to save our lives for the first year and a half, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just because we weren't that good, you know, but we were having fun and we were throwing lots of flavor in there, you know, and people were very forgiving and people didn't really care because they wanted big flavors. Yeah. You know, so they weren't looking for something safe.
0: Yeah. Everyone know? been drinking bland beer for so long, yeah. blowing people's minds. Right. You nice. know, and, and, um,
1: and it was cool. It
0: was fun, you know. And I think the more we, what I
1: learned from that whole project is just gotta be true to
0: yourself. When were you aware that the, you know, what the media by then were no doubt telling like a sort of craft beer movement. Uh, become I think two
1: years in, or year and a half, two years in, everything started picking up pace. You know, because yeah. then you have Five Points, you got the Red Church, you had, uh, who are the other early guys, um, in the London scene? I mean, you just looked at the LB Pressure Drop. Yeah, Pressure Drop Boys. Mm. Um, you know everybody and then, blo- and then Evan moving up to a bigger spot with the colonel mm. you know, and then pressure drop taking over his space
0: when did you guys move out of the basement
1: uh, we moved out of the basement within s- 10 months wow and we got the lock up mm. across from De Beauvoir so another friend of mine my construction company friend of my builder was leaving his lock up mm. which is just sort of like a weird little higgly piggly 1200 square foot space but we could fit in 10 Fermenting vessels there You know And have a little Packaging storeroom. Nice You know And so we set up Shop there for Probably another Ten months And then we got Six months I think we lasted there And then through the guys At Truman Brewery mm. We got the ear For the space next door To them Which was going for rent mm. In Hackney Wick mm. On Stour, Stour Road Yeah um, So we then we went in there And then that lasted us A year and a half Um until we started realizing we were outgrowing that space, you know, then we had twelve fermenters and enough warehouse space and a little mezzanine to actually get organized a little bit, mm. you know, and make shit work. Um, and that's when we had started hiring a couple more employees, you know, mm. so we had like three, four part timers, uh, full time brewer James Logan, myself, and an accounts person. Also to- Need those admin accounts, people, man. Yeah,
0: so bored, someone's man. got to make sure somewhere you're getting paid, right? Yeah, make sure BGM. someone's chasing up. Somebody yeah, yeah, to pay yeah. us.
1: Um, and then that's when we decided to we had to grow more because mm. the demand was there. We got voted uh best new brewery, you know, uh, that would have been 2015, 2014, mm. I think, uh, in the, in the UK. And they're like, Yep, this is it, this is a thing. And then we looked up into uh, Tottenham. Um, and found the, the space up there negotiated the with the, the guy who runs that space is the owner of JJ Foods. Wow. You know, yeah. so lovely cat, very, very much like a handshake, old school kind of cat. Yeah. You know, I, we wanted the biggest space there, which was a, a 10,000 square foot. He's like, nah, he Blitz to us, like, nah, you guys aren't ready for that. <laughs> and so he forced us to take a smaller space across in that same development, which we then outgrew. You know, out, we, they eventually outgrew
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I kind of negotiated all the, the layouts And set, set up the business plan And at that point You know Decided to kind of move on I really wanted to do more food stuff
0: Yeah So was this around the time That you were going into poke?
1: Yep yeah, To open Hawaiian restaurants Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Which was also like What we did when we started yeah. Behind this wall We were doing poke uh, You were doing poke I was like hey, what the I'd just <laughs> been in uh, I'd just been working in LA And I was like This is definitely going to be a thing Yeah. But it turns out that people don't want to eat raw fish on a wintry day in a basement. Funny
1: thing that was weird. Nor in, like, my ca- nor in my case, a uh, cavernous uh, four thousand square foot restaurant hidden away in the back of Dalston. Yeah, you man. <laughs> so, so I love. Uh, I guess it,
0: it, it is a thing now. Poke. It is a thing, but it has. But it's the way that it's like branded is not the way that I experienced it when I was in America. Right. It was again. It was that. It was that like outlier kind of. You know, I use the term again and. I hate describing things as punk because no one who is actually a punk would ever call themselves a punk but like it has got that kind of you know it was like yeah. Roy Troy and yeah. they were the guys that were doing it out yeah. there and it was like exciting it was a bit gangster almost yeah. it was like
1: it was taking the refinement of sushi which has wonderful heritage and Discipline, yeah, and saying "fuck this." We're gonna dice it. We're gonna throw it in a bowl with strong flavors. So it's the whole but th- I remember Hawaiian so, aesthetic.
0: As soon as we started doing it, like we were getting, we were getting a lot of press for it around when we opened, and people were coming down just to eat the poke. And I was like, this fridge that was about this big, serving it all. Yeah, and then the health inspector came, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know how are you monitoring temperatures and all of this kind of shit. Yeah. And so we upgraded the fridge. And we're like, okay, this is going to be a big thing. Then you know, I had like a Box Park calling me up saying like, we're opening in Croydon. We want you to do a Poke Stand. You got uh, Jizzy Uskin like writing an article saying like, this is the next big. And then I think it all just shifted in this direction of like, uh, the, the 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 aesthetic is so like a hobby, kind of like a is, is that like horrible American tourist side of Hawaii? Yeah. You know, yeah. with the sort of flowers around your neck and I uh, just like went off it really, really fast. Yeah. Um, I mean, at that time when I had
1: pond, I was also had gotten a, an agent from a publishing agent mm. and we were working on a cookbook, you know, working on that whole Pacific Rim Hawaiian style food. Mm. Um, and I knew that other books in development were like Island Pokey and Poke. Yeah. Uh, Pokey, the other guy who has a food chain or has had, a, had a food truck at that point. And I wasn't getting any bites from publishers. I'm like, come on, let's just rework the book into this straight up Pokey book. It's fine. Let's just get it to market. Because I think mm. that's maybe. I, I was already realizing that my fine dining approach to Hawaiian mm. wasn't the right vibe, mm. you know, like very quickly. Yeah but
0: it's I guess like now it's just found it's, its its place is like this sort of middle of the road kind of like mm. washed blue yeah you know Predemonge does fucking poke that's that's where it's at that's where it's at you know Definitely. and that's where it's going to stay yeah like there's no way of sort of shifting that no I mean, well, you know, it's cl- it fits the clean eating bill. You know, it does. It
1: definitely does. It's healthy. and It's got good flavors, and it can tick all the boxes on every level. Mm. And people love sushi.
0: And it's an easy lunch. Yeah, you know. And that
1: being said, I think you'll find that if you ever wanted to revisit it and market it to the masses outside of London, that might be where the growth still lies. I mean, I'm I'm one sure that, reg- you
0: know. I have one regular customer
1: it's still Tom, on.
0: comes in. You know, he comes in less now, but every time he's like, when are you going to do the fucking poker again? So I just do it as a special event. Yeah, I try to do it on Tuesdays, and then, like, you know, to get people in on a Tuesday, and then he's like, oh, I can't come on a Tuesday. So it's like you lost the one customer that was really going to be keen about coming down for that thing. <laughs> but yeah, maybe the summer, now it's quiet, so I should, should revisit that.
1: Yeah, it could be.
0: Um, so when you were doing that, you obviously, like... So Working your way out of Beaver Town And then I guess towards yeah. your current project Which is Well, so the, so the Hawaiian restaurant Which called Pond You know, that was a
1: four year uh, melee into Interestingville Which then soured me from food mm. Was Duke's <laughs> shut by this point? Or? No, Duke's was
0: still open. Still going Yeah, yeah still yeah. going
1: But kind of floundering Yeah um, Because there wasn't getting any love There was always talk about getting locations And duplicating mm. Duke's as a brand mm. um, I'm a bit, I, at the time my vision was very much seeing how Byron Burger expanded. Every Byron Burger had its own personality; it wasn't cookie cutter. I thought that was quite smart.
0: I thought Byron Burger was really good for you know, a bit. back like, in the first yeah, yeah. day
1: in the in the first days, and um, and I kind of saw that as well. Like I really s- thought strongly, and I still kind of believe that to a certain way I'm, on having brew pubs. Mm. Um, having a pub too heavily branded as your own brand I think limits you I thought at the time limited you to the audience mm. you know like if you're Beavertown branded pub group mm. you know then what doesn't really make sense featuring other people's beers like you kind of want a middle of the road sort of a
0: so you thought Jukes was a good was a good brand to, yeah, yeah. you know
1: doing maybe stripped down barbecue in every location a nice good food solid food offering that everyone would like I mean you could go all the way back to straight up burgers mm. if you needed to um, and then having a really good craft and everyone knew there was Dukes, Beaver Town, they were married couples, yeah. you know, and they would work and grow and grow and grow. In my business plan, in within the first five years, we should have had seven, um, Beaver Town's high close. Alright? Yeah? Hey, I've got two five-pound marks like this is. Tell the girls, if they want get it from my sense. If they want the book, they can all it online. Okay, oh, all, right. Cool. All, right. all right. cheers. cheers. All right.
0: That's fun. I don't know what that person was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. I don't think she knew it either.
1: Um. So I kind of envisioned that's the way we would have grown. Yeah. Like I was looking at places in Leeds. Logan and I were, and I really thought, yeah, let's fucking expand. Mm. Let's get out of market early. Mm. Let's let's hit these college towns all over the UK mm. and have a Duke's, Brewing Q, and a Beaver Town tap room in yeah. every single one. Mm. That made sense to me, but it just didn't happen. Um, I think running a business um, and kind of running that quick, we were just trying to catch our tails every single day, try to produce enough beer, yeah you know, and that was the beauty of being early to the market mm. and having the right branding to fit the bill you mm. know you couldn 't make any mistakes. we made no money mm. for the first three years, four years
0: but yeah. you 're never sure as well.
1: Well, we were subsidized by the restaurant, yeah, so the restaurant was a cash cow that was feeding the brewery mm. and keeping us afloat, you know and that's why it just made sense to me. Like, okay, I see, I see, I see. Let's mm. keep doing this. Let's keep doing that. Um, and then after I left, then you know, Logan decided to double down um, on the brewery. You know, on the brewery, and you know, invest a lot more money, and mm. got the bigger kit, did everything, and then that started ticking over. And then having you know, the, open the floodgates a little bit mm. um, made sense. Yeah, you know. And then for whatever reason, he decided to do Heineken. I, I understand the reason. He wasn't financial. Mm. Uh, so that's fine So that's where they are now And we'll see how it plays
0: Yeah It's you know? funny isn't it It's like You sort of take A little bit of the magic Out of what makes it special By Yeah Being that thing That's in opposition To what Yeah so now he's part place. of a macro I
1: don't care what he says 49% or whatever He's uh, yeah. still in the back pocket But it was access to market And created a worldwide brand Yeah And ride the coattail It might I mean I haven't spoken to Logan in a while um, I assume that's why he's doing it I know that's why he's doing it Mm. he wants a worldwide brand he doesn't want a brand that's just stuck in the UK Mm. and you can only do that if you have access to a worldwide distribution chain like Heineken Mm. that can actually say okay cool we have a brewery facility in this country we can now brew your product there
0: Mm.
1: makes complete sense
0: yeah for sure you
1: know and that makes also sense for longevity he can now have a brand that's going to outlive any trend here in the UK Mm. Um, so cool and after the Hawaiian thing closed back to my progression Mm. um Chefs were the bane of my existence <laughs> at that restaurant, and I were like, God, I don't want to deal with chefs anymore. Yeah, it's, I love food, but I cannot deal with the cooking culture in London was so poor. Mm. You know, no one really understood how to be a proper chef and what it took and dedication. Everyone was just interested in being.
0: Well, I guess is what you, you got the rise of Instagram as well. Yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, I can just be. I'm a chef. I can put a hashtag behind my thing, yeah. and then boom, I'm away. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know. You don't need to do the hard grind. You don't need to wash dishes. for. Yeah. If you look right and you can chop an onion, there you, you go. can film a little video of yourself doing it. It's like, dude, you're not a chef. <laughs> you know,
1: I paid my dues. Yeah, yeah. I've, been doing, I've been doing restaurants since I was 14 years old. For sure. You know? um, and, uh, and, then, and then I said, you know what I miss? I miss brewers. Brewers are nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked into starting another brewery. Um, got together a few friends They introduced me A few other people Got the backers together we started Deviant and Dandy We were going to turn Deviant uh, and Dandy The location In, in Dalston Into the, to the spot Right But that didn't work out Because the landlord Got greedy And just kind of Screwed me over mm. What's well, happening To that spot
0: now What are they doing uh, They
1: got another Restaurant catering Firm in there right now Okay, So that's what They're, they're
0: doing something I don't know how They're doing it should go well, and you'd think, but then it's top behind, isn't it? Yeah, Which it's is quite It's like, yeah. it's an odd place. It is an odd place. It's a great space, Yeah,
1: you know, but yeah, whatever. We'll see. I moved on, got the railway arch over For in sure. Hackney Central. Uh, very, very early days went in there. Yeah. And When the narrow way was... Still empty and scary. scary. And auto shops, yeah, 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 yeah. It's still kind of scary. Um,
0: but slowly,
1: two years on, they're finally getting
0: it together Mm. you know on the Bohemia place I mean yeah it's mad there now isn't it well it's getting there but is it I mean it looks like you know compared to what it was walking past I don't often go down there but like you know just walking home at the end of a shift all the lights up you know the market things that they're trying to do like the people who've just moved in there as well like the scale of those operations oh like yeah Massive. Night Tales that's enormous right it like is
1: enormous you know and they're, they're I think they're hitting their stride they, mm. last year they kind of figured out what worked and what didn't work and then mm. this summer they're guys they're they are yeah. and they're yeah. good guys too yeah 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 I really like Bootstrap and the whole uh, the whole organization because I knew them from when I had my Mexican food stall for sure and Bootstrap was Long Table I think doing Long Table with Nuno Mendez yeah yeah, yeah. like a night market over in behind uh, Arcola where uh, where 40 well. foot is yeah. Yeah. yeah so and that's where I had met Nuno Mendes and stuff working for him but Bootstrap
0: was part of the, the Dawson Roof Park kind of group yeah they, they were running yeah out, yeah, right? yes. yeah that's where all those guys came from who started yeah. Night Tales yeah for sure and now they're background bars it's background bars that's yeah. it
1: um, so I've known them for a long time and then you had same time we were doing that we had St. John the Hackneys St. Hackney Church Brewery is now what they're called yeah
0: they had to re- rebrand. what because Fergus didn't like that.
1: Uh, the guys at Hackney Brewery didn't like it. Really? Yeah. The uh, so it wasn't actually,
0: anything to do with Saint John. No, no? I mean, Saint John didn't care.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you do your thing. Yeah. They didn't care. It was actually it was actually Hackney Brewery that forced them to change their name. Okay. To Hackney Church Brewery.
0: Um, and who else has done that? And then you had other Pressure other... Drop next door to oh, us. Of
1: course, yeah. yeah. Uh, who then, at the same time when we were moving in, were moving out. Yeah. They go next door to Beavertown, ironically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then they just stayed shut for a year until they opened the experiment. And that's their yeah, tap room. Kind yeah, of... so that's now their tap room. And yeah. just open uh, what's it, Wednesday through Sunday. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And then they seem to be doing okay. And then we got uh, the other brewery in there. So it went from being, originally I was told that it was going to be a fashion walk.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what we were sold right. when we were told, like, "Hey, come and do the bar on the narrow way."
1: Yeah,
0: we're going to redevelop everything, and I mean, the, look, the, what they've done with flats. I think that serves all of us that are there really well. Yeah, you've got a lot of New York style new build flats which are going up fast, where people have got small kitchens. Yeah, they can't and no really, they can't States. entertain, and that benefits all of us yeah. with with, with um, you know yeah. what's. Uh, What's happening around there? But the yeah, the fashion walk thing really hasn't.
1: No, it ends really, never going to happen.
0: No, it's kind of kicked off. Yeah, it kicked on in a in a. In a but way, it's going to
1: become whatever it's going to become. You know, and it's a question of do we? How long can we? Do we stay around that area mm. as far as a tap room? The so with opening Deviant and Dandy there, um, you know I'm the Deviant. My other business associate's the Dandy. <laughs> um, even though you don't see any of them <laughs> anymore. Okay, he's off filming in Canada. Being a dandy. Being a dandy. Being As you a dandy. Should, actually, That's yeah, what yeah, you yeah. yeah doing, yes. so it's a, it's, a, it's Robbie Sheehan, the little okay. Irish actor. Oh right, okay, cool. Uh, he's he's always been a supporter of me mm. um, for all my projects and giving nice. or loaning me money for my different endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that plays out. You know, the, the wholesale market side of that has become very difficult.
0: Mm. Um, Is that because of things like the bottle shop going? No,
1: well, I mean, this this so. Even in Dandy Brewery, me getting back into craft beer is four years in the making. Mm. Um, so it's been two years actually operational. Mm. Two thousand seven, two thousand eighteen is when we started. Two thousand seventeen is when we started. Uh, started Gypsy Brewing. Two thousand eighteen is when we took over the Arch. Mm. You know, opened up in November, Jan, December, January, mm-hmm. 2000, 2018 had an entire year of getting that working out, and now we're into our second year into the archway mm. with our own bricks and mortar. Um, it was It's amazing to me to watch how fast craft beer has grown yeah. and changed. And three years, four years ago, I would have said, okay, now is the last chance to get into the London market. Mm. And I'm definitely right on that yeah. because it has closed
0: up tight. I guess it's similar with gin now as well, yeah. isn't it? It's those two things. Yeah. Like, they have definitely hit saturation point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, you run a bar as well. There's only so many people who can come in every Tuesday and be like, I've got a new gin for you to try. And, you know, why is that? How much does it cost the bottle? Is it cheaper than Beefeater? No, so, hey. Close.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and it's it's the exact same thing, you know, so. I mean,
0: we try and, you know, I think with the gin thing compared to the beer thing, we try and push, like, it's very rare, because gin's not something you can drink neat. Well, you can but people don't like yeah. to, the market's not really there some of the barrel aged ones definitely yeah. but it's not a thing that people really go for it's not in the culture so it's like okay we got all these different tonics we got all these different styles of gin if someone asks for a gin and tonic and it's not slammed I might be like do you to want it you. do you want it earthy do you want it dry do yeah. you want it sweet yeah. and give them some options but otherwise, it's just like boom, boom, There you go. There you go. This Easy serve. London, Dry gin and tonic. And
1: you know, and it's the same thing. Tonic is, in my opinion, actually. I, I have my. I had to I hate tonic. Mm. I, could, I thought I hated gin. Yeah. And I realized that I hated tonic.
0: Yeah. Fair I enough.
1: love gin. Yeah. Gin makes great cocktails. Gin and soda. Gin and soda works, yeah. gin and martinis, martinezes, old yeah. fashions I even make. I mean, I will do anything with gin, it's and great. I love the results. Yeah. You know, and then you can actually taste the nuances and the botanicals. You throw it in tonic water, and all I taste is that quinine and I'm like, wow, Yeah, it's
0: nasty. That's
1: no, not for me. You know, I, I guess I'm, I'm yeah, the antithesis, which then I think by its very fact nature, because everyone just orders a and you know, do you really taste the difference.
0: Yeah. You know, if
1: anything, Hendrix, which is a great brand marketing-wise. Yeah. I think you taste more than anything in a signature service, the cucumber you put in there.
0: But Hendrix, Hendrix, the guys who, like, you know, they, they kicked it all on. Yeah. Because people, much like people would have looked at Beaver Town yep. and gone, like, okay, we can do this too. Yep, absolutely. And then you've got, you know, we're at, at- a point now in this year where you've got people are treating this part of London like they would Bordeaux for wine. You've yep. got beer tourists coming here to right. see the, like... Yeah. London Craft Beer Movement. Yeah,
1: because we got enough, and then we're all we're all congregated here. And then, but then, who, where's the money going? It's
0: spread out too thin, isn't it? It is spread out too thin,
1: and I can't get the market share.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: uh, because what's happened now very quickly once. Uh, I think once uh, Camden Town Brewery got bought up by AB InBev, mm-hmm. that really marked the change, the, the switching point.
0: Yeah, I, I remember that. You like, know, big news. Big
1: news, you know, and, and I don't fault the owners, Jasper. You know, he was he was, was supporter of us early on. I was supporter of him. Um, it's exactly what he wanted to do. Mm. You know, he's got a finance background. He knew what he was doing. Mm. You know, it wasn't a, a, a deep love for craft beer
0: yeah I mean, you know you've got your exit strategy as well like right. you were talking about before
1: so I thought okay macros versus micro you know we can still win out on that front people are going to want to pay a little bit more to support mm. craft um, and then with the rise of Beavertown, how big it got everyone getting used to that and the rise of the macros and, and then they and then them buying all the microbreweries. Completely repeating everything that was going on in America But at a much faster pace mm. In the UK mm. So when we started Beavertown in 2008 2010-11 uh, mm. Right um, Within We were the 7th or 12th member Of the London Brewers Alliance mm. London Brewers Alliance which is an organization You know Mostly for the with people within the M25 mm. uh, For years was just eaten. Uh, Weston and Eat something like that Some, I can't remember the brewery uh, Colonel um, and uh, London uh, London Pride is done
0: by Fullers yeah 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 right yeah uh,
1: and then that was kind of it mm. I think it was like five six of them and then we were like the seventh player to come in and then suddenly there were 12 and then we could they were excited because we had a meeting that could fill a table yeah you know <laughs> and then it just kept growing and growing and growing by the time I left uh, three and a half years later, I mean, there was 40 breweries there. It's mad, isn't it? Okay, in four years. Now, seven years down, mm. you know, of that line, and now ten, over pushing 10 years, there are 100 to 130 breweries within the M25. Wow. So that's a massive change in market.
0: So anyone who's wondering why, and with the gin as well, it's obviously London tap water is is special. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's got a <laughs> It's kind of nuance of, of it, scaling everything. Which all is, of it's apparently passed through Oliver Cromwell at one point or yes, another. So, absolutely. you absolutely. Know, we well, have,
1: I mean, there is chemically, there's a lot of reason why hard water works well mm. for what we're doing. Uh, so it is quite special in that sense that it's quite crap for drinking, yeah. liquid for making beers out, because it changes the chemistry of the water, which begins to have different extraction levels and blah, blah, blah. It's really, it is good on its own thing. It makes sense. So look at this, 130, whatever percentage growth that is. We did in a decade... Mm. In the craft beer scene What it took America 30 years
0: It's mad Kay? The yeah.
1: exponential growth If you look at a percentage percentage Is what 30 years took in America yeah. To happen And so now all you gotta do is look at America And with the acceleration of communication And growth of markets And how everything trend- are trending yeah. We are only lagging Whereas before I would have said we were a 5 to 10 year lag Behind America
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's completely changed You've I gone think, past or... No, I, think we're, I think we're at most a couple. Mm. Somewhere, be, somewhere under five years behind And they America.
0: had a 20-year head start.
1: Yeah. Wow. So anything that's going on in America, it'll be happening here, and it did happen here within mm. years rather than a decade.
0: But I guess, you know, and that ties back as well to the sort of poke thing as well. Yeah. It was happening in California, then it happened in New York, and then it happens... In, and that did used to be a, like, yeah, like you say... I thought there was five more, years time,
1: more time to grow it. Yeah. You know, into something... And mm. then it just like okay, it's bypassing a lot of things, and I just noticed that in the food, and I'm noticing that in the beer now.
0: Mm.
1: So, the bigger breweries and everyone—they're literally at the point when where I started uh, Deviant and Dandy. There was a brewery, craft brewer, opening every day in America. Wow. Okay, four years ago, mm. every day. Mm. Everyone was just singing and dancing. Woo, woo! The glass ceilings bust. There's room for growth for everyone. It's a
0: yeah, it was a gold rush. Yeah, was a gold rush. Yeah.
1: And then two years in, it started flatlining. Three years in, it definitely flatlined. And then you see everyone selling up. Mm. You know, and then the mac- the big brewers are coming in, buying all the craft brewers in mm. America because they need market share mm. and they need to close the gap on their brand. You know, they need to make their cheap brand look more affordable by buying craft brewers and making them cheaper yeah you know just ever so slightly cheaper it's it's a fascinating strategy whatever like Budweiser has done Mm. and that all the breweries have fallen with
0: Mm. Um,
1: and now you see here in London what made it so hard is I was going when I was ready to go out and start panning the payment with Deviant and Dandy I was like okay cool man hell he's a friend of mine he's opened a little restaurant shortage you know cool awesome small little place nothing of a craft beer it's primarily takeaway they'll do two to four kegs a week Mm. that's not a big account no Done deal. I want to support you, bar. Love you. Know you for years. Cool. Then next thing I get, a will call, uh, we're building now. Uh, I can't use your beer. Why not? We got, we're going with Camden. Why the fuck are you going with Camden? That's, mm. that's Budweiser. Mm. Like, well, I kind of have to. They're going to give me, I think they give him 15K mm. just to tie up the lines for Camden Brewery.
0: Mm.
1: And that's not Camden's money. That's Budweiser money.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's like, I got, a bad, I got a big bill that I have to pay. I don't have a choice. Yeah. I'm like, man, I get it. You're a brand new restaurant. Mm. They don't care that they'll never recoup that 15K investment on a small outlet that's shifting two to four kegs a week. Mm. Don't care. They have to tie those lines mm. and keep their brand present everywhere.
0: In the right places. In the right
1: places. Mm. Because suddenly they realize, and it becomes a, a brewing, like many businesses, is, a, is an economy of scale. Mm. You know? I cannot produce a beer as cheaply as Camden Town can in their brand new facility up in Enfield. Mm. You know? Because they... Have brought down all the ke- costs, They own their own kegs. They have their own fleet. Mm. So it just becomes a volume game. They will make more money to me because they're going to. S- they need to sell more beer than I can. Mm. I can never bring down my prices. And you know, in all honesty, you know, whatever it is you you think you pay for a wholesale keg of beer, um, eighty to ninety pounds is about as low comfortably to still make a good margin that a craft brewer can produce a thirty liter keg. Yeah. Right now if you have the economy of scales and you've got a big massive brewery and you've got a 50 to 100 barrel kit Mm. you know and all the fermenting vessels known to man that you can double triple brew a day Mm. into them and have 300 barrel fermenters all of a sudden your ability to sell a keg profitably drops from 80 to 90 pounds that you could still turn a profit at 67 Mm. and at 67 pounds you're in line with the same pricing as cores and budweiser
0: yeah for sure but you still got at the moment we're in that sort of gray area where you've still got a uh, craft perception exactly amongst the consumer Yeah. Well, so you're at- because, because as well because they've done this work and gone and put it in the right places yep so you go into a cool new restaurant opening in shoreditch and yep. it's got camden on top and you're like okay cool camden's still cool yeah, you don't really know. Or you don't care. think no one. No one reads about this stuff behind the industry, except you know? except the serious beer nerds, and yeah. they're great, and they support
1: the local providers. You know, which is great.
0: They and, go to Mother Kelly's.
1: They go every to Mother Kelly's. They go to craft beer. And then, Co. Yeah. They, they're cool with paying six pounds, seven pounds for a half bite. Yeah, you know it's something really interesting.
0: And I think you know this sort of tourism thing that I mentioned before. They they'll go out and they'll go looking for the things. But yeah, like you said, it's not it's not really sustainable yeah. in the long run
1: hey, I thought the blowback on Beavertown for doing the Coors deal would be much bigger. And it has been big to them, mm. but they don't care.
0: No. It doesn't affect them. And also, like, you've got to look at, like, where it, you, the, the, the new Tottenham Stadium opening, they've done the bar in there. Yeah. Like, that's just opened it up to a whole new... They're now be, People that are going you know Hand in hand Football so Brand loyal It's yeah, like Especially Tottenham oh, fans <laughs> I go to Tottenham every weekend And now it's a Beaver Beavertown bar I only drink Beavertown beer That's my team's beer Hotspur yeah. Hotspur's
1: yeah. ale I guarantee it's, it's going to be, be Something big Fuck man I'm a holy freaking creation I mean, I'm, <laughs>
0: not, I, I'm an Arsenal fan So I can't drink it anymore
1: You can't drink it done. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can never drink Beavertown
0: again I'm not any football fan But
1: I must say If I was going to be a football fan Tottenham had always seemed interesting to me because of its Jewish roots and things
0: yeah, like that. Yeah, they're cool. I mean, back, you know, begrudgingly, they're cool. My, my grandfather used to be the little physio man that ran on oh, really? the pitch at Arsenal. Nice. <laughs> he fixed nice. up the players. So I've been going since I was, like, that big. But, um, yeah, I've been, I've been slightly envious of Tottenham this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They've
0: done well. And now they've got this cool craft brewery stadium. Yeah. But it's not actually craft brewery anymore. Not really. There we go. No,
1: it's not. You know, what's the definition of Craft. You know, and this a
0: bit but, of you know, you guys weren't the ones who gave it that term, were you? It's no. something that gets, that gets festered on you that you become slightly like, resentful of. I remember having like, this. I, I hate being called a mixologist. <laughs> I do too. And it's like, no. Just like, this is just some weird industry term that people have invented because you're trying to elevate bartenders into being chefs and yeah. you're trying to give it like a little bit of Instagram celebrity kind of sparkle. Yeah. You know? We're just Making drinks. Making I am not yeah. a chef <laughs> no. and I'm no. certainly not a mixologist.
1: I mean, I care about drinks, I care about flavors. If anything, we're priests. Yeah. You know, we listen to people's confessions. Oh, for the sure. That is really our main job of a good bartender. Yeah. You know, so as much as you want to go to Providence and have seasonal cocktails and that's all fine and dandy, I think I enjoy it on some level. Mm. Um, I'd rather have a bartender that was witty and cool and... You know, had a little empathy for whatever, how my day went. You know, that to me is the most important thing to do.
0: So that's the job of the bartender. What's the job of the brewer?
1: Ah, see, that's where the brewer is a little bit easier because they really can't just be furry, smelly, you know, people (laughs) who are really more salty earth farmers. More farmer, I think, than anything else. And really the craft beer scene took it from being a very tradesman sort of environment to making beer mm. you know so making beer was in hand to growing the wheat mm. to shearing to raising the cattle you know mm. it was that kind of a job yeah you know, it wasn't glamorous so the craft beer scene suddenly made it glamorous and that's where like I, think, I hope it doesn't kill me for saying this is where somebody like james rylance came in mm. a freaking university degree his parents are doctors or something like that you know they're well-heeled upper middle class family mm. and he just suddenly Got into the craft beer, mm. you know. Was hanging around Evan at the Colonel. He was a volunteer there, and that's where he came to us from. Evan's like, "I got this kid. You need an employee. He's really keen. He's quite smart. You know, give him a job." Yeah. And we gave him a job. It's like, why are you doing this? Don't you want to just go finish your degree? And it became cool to become yeah. a
0: brewer. It became it celebrity. Became like, yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's like, and it's the same thing with the chefs. It's the same thing that like we're just saying with Button. It's like, can you become famous of doing this? Can you make it out that you are an artist? rather than just you yeah. know a good craftsman. Right. And that's and then, really and all that these things should be. Yeah. Someone who's passionate, can follow orders yeah. and you know build something from Because in reality the ground up.
1: like I said beer is, is is a volume game. It's not it's not a one off. Yeah. yeah like you can some people can get away with it. I think it's going to be harder and harder. You can only make so many one off beers. You need to make the same beer, a pale ale an IPA, a lager, and you need to make it consistency consistent every time. So early on in the craft beer movement in the UK, every beer could be different. Nobody cared. They yeah. were fine with cloudy beer. You know, we fought long and hard to get people to accept cloudy beers <laughs> as a thing. You know, the yeast has flavors, nothing wrong with the yeast. Blah, blah, blah. And now, full circle, a decade into the craft beer movement in the UK, people are now turning their backs on too cloudy mm. you know not accepting it and for uh, market shares and all that kind of stuff you kind of need to start bowing down every craft brewer thereabouts is making a lager the only one that's not doing it is the Colonel.
0: yeah
1: you know and, but Evan has a very very special pace, place of being one of the first yeah you know and you know Beaver Town's gonna have a massive lager push coming out this year for sure you know they've already experimented with Firestone a yeah. collaboration brew we did with them um, and they're going to be pulling out of pills. Yeah. I forgot what that's called. I was talking to Nick someplace. I can't remember what was But anyway, you know, so everyone's doing a lager. It's the lager, you've you got the Steve, Yeah, right? i got my Steve logger. And I realized that four years ago that everyone has to do a logger. Yeah. Because that's the only way we can f- claw back a little bit of market share.
0: Well, I guess, you know, like for someone like me who only has two lines, it's what, it's what the consumer wants. You know, yeah. we're not we're not bibber, but it's like we've got, we got the parallel and we got lager okay. and that's it Which you is, know we tried having four we've tried having funky stuff in the fridge definitely. doesn't move at all
1: I'm doing the same thing here at this bar off Broadway mm. I'm, I'm actually emptying the fridge out mm. I'm getting rid of it all but I think like again, I get too much just sitting there so now what I'm going to do is focus on a range from one brewery for a month or two when we were looking simple.
0: at the beginning you know rewind back ten years seven, seven years when, it, when I first started coming here to drink it's like you had it was, it was an import market yeah you know, and it was like, oh, cool. I've been to New York. I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. I've been to Mexico. Wow. Yeah, Dos Equis. Cool. Sweet. Great. Brilliant. <laughs> I drank that on a beach and then got beaten up by a wave in Puerto Escondido. I'm going to have <laughs> that fucking beer. And, you know, that, that's, that's gone now. Yeah. You know, because there's so much here and it's so global as well. That well things isn't, move around isn't, the, isn't that, the,
1: the, isn't that the, actually the epitome of what a brand is? Yeah. It's invoking that memory. Mm. In your mind, that muscle memory, that nice connotation that you're like, oh, yeah, that brand reminds me of this moment. For sure. And that's why I'm going to get it here and now so I can relive that moment on some small
0: level. Yeah, I'll buy an Omnipolo because it reminds me of the time that I lost all of my savings just breathing in Copenhagen yeah and hey it still costs 12 pounds so
1: <laughs> sweet brilliant it's the way it
0: should be <laughs>
1: yeah I mean that's, that's the interesting thing of brands brands are, are super fascinating to me
0: yeah you know the whole psychology behind. but that's it. why we run bars man it's yeah. all those like lovely stories lovely stories it's a story behind every booze and every drink yeah
1: yeah so they, they all fun. get
0: snaffled up by yeah maybe
1: we're more historians
0: yeah curators <laughs> or, curators oh we're madmen, actually mm-hmm. we're mad men we're, we are we're the, the men. ultimate
1: advertising Guru's unwitting sheep
0: <laughs> of all this machine. I sheep. think that was old Papa von Winkle. He was the, the originator. Yeah. Cool. Should we tie it up there? Yeah. I that was nice, man. It's good. good. <laughs> now I've just got to write this whole fucking thing up. so we hope you enjoyed that Um, thanks to cammy for putting it all together on the mix thanks to anna for the amazing jingle although just uh for full disclosure in case anyone from hmrc is listening anna is furloughed so she just did that because you know she wanted to for fun Um, hopefully we'll have some more of this kind of stuff coming at you soon we've got a few things going on through the site at the moment We've got some vouchers, which if you would like to purchase, would really help us out in a huge way, uh, just with our current sort of cash flow issues in the coronavirus crisis. You can purchase 25, 50, 75 or 100 pound tabs, which will be redeemable once we reopen. And we should have a uh, bottled version of the spring menu out next week, which we will be able to deliver to your doors. Anyway... Once again, hope you're all keeping safe and well. We miss you all lots and can't wait to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.